And if you got your Bible, we are Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at just one verse. We're going to kind of take it apart um, and see the, the implications in it. Um, we had a, just before the meeting, or before church tonight, we had a, a meeting for people that were interested in uh, possibly joining our church. And I, I'm trying to think of the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We had nine people. Um, is that right? Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, so we had, uh, if you remember, they, we had the, the uh, couple that came in this morning, uh, Brandon and Jamie. They came to check out the church. Um, we're going get to get to know them a little bit better. Uh, Jonathan Clark was here. Uh, clearly the boys are here. Uh, Joe and then my parents. And so we had a good, good conversation and um, heard some, uh, some good stories of how, what, what God is doing in people's lives. So it was a it was, a, it was a great time, and uh, hopefully we'll have more of those in the future, that this is uh, the, the start of, of many more of those to come. So, um, All right, in Matthew chapter 5, um, we, the not last, I don't even remember the last time we were, I was up here. Was it? No? And then a couple weeks ago, I, I introduced the Sermon on the Mount to you, um, and then so tonight I'm going to do another one, and then... I'll be back in three weeks, and <laughs> eventually we'll get through this. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. Blessed are, or blessed, uh, people always say blessed, and nobody ever is like, I'm so blessed to be here today, right? We don't talk that way. Why do we, I don't know why we say it that way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd be with our time as we uh, take a look at this verse and the implications that it has for us as believers uh, Lord, help us to be different as a result of being here today. Uh, as, as I read this afternoon, that uh, every time we open God's word, we should expect to be transformed. So Lord, please uh, transform us. Help us to be more like your son as a result of being here. We ask this in your name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> all right, so uh, just to kind of to set the context for what's going on here, uh, Jesus is, um, we looked at uh, Matthew 5, 1 and 2 uh, a few weeks ago. And what, what's happening is Jesus saw the crowds. He's, he's starting to get, gain his popularity. He's starting to get more popular with the people. And so what he decided to do was he's like, look, I need a break. Uh, and, and he went up into the mountains and he called his, uh, called his disciples with him. And he said, okay, now I'm going to teach you. And one of the things that we said was this isn't necessarily a word-for-word uh, transcript of, of what he said. This is kind of... Um, Matthew hitting, hitting the highlights here. Um, and this particular section that we're going to start tonight, we're going to be, who knows when we'll finish it. There's 12 verses. You know, I preach once a month for, uh, so next year this time, we'll finish the first 12 verses. Um, I don't know. We should, we should get, we should put money on it and then give it to Lottie Moon for whatever we, uh, we decide to go with. Um, but the, the first, uh, from Matthew 5, 3, down through 12, it, it, this passage is called the Beatitudes. All right? And everybody in the world is familiar with the Beatitudes. Everyone can give you at least one Beatitude. Um, now, when Jesus sat down, he didn't go, listen, guys, I'm about to give you something called the Beatitudes. Take notes. Um, <clears throat> this actually, the, the phrase Beatitude uh, comes from the, the Latin translation of the scriptures, something we call the Septuagint. I think that's right. There is definitely something called the Septuagint. I'm just not sure if it's uh, the Latin version. But Beatitudes is a Latin word. Um, 
and it, it refers to a state of happiness. Now, as you read these, as you read these statements, and, and I, I hope you'll read through them this week, you're going to see that a lot of them are very contradictory to happiness. Like, wait a second, you want me to hunger and thirst and be happy? My kids get hungry and thirsty after like five minutes of being at the dinner table. They're not happy. And if they're not happy, that makes Tina unhappy, which then, of course, re- results in me being unhappy. Um, but what Jesus is doing is Jesus is giving his followers a set of conditional blessings for them to incorporate into their lives. So this is one of the few places where Jesus says, if you do this, this will happen. If you, if you, are, if you are this way, this is the result. Like you, if, if, if this is a part of your life, then this is going to be the result. Now, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 it's how to be genuinely happy, all right? And, and, and we all know that there are times where we're happy, right? If I go to the movie theater and I slide my car and they're like, you get a free popcorn, I'm happy until I eat the popcorn and then I get that stomachache because it comes from eating all that oil on the popcorn and then I'm not happy anymore. Um, when it talks about genuine happiness, this isn't a momentary situation, but it, it, it's, it's all about who you are. When we look at it, though, it becomes difficult to understand how those demands can make us happy. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. What Jesus is doing is he's setting forth the pathway to finding true happiness if we come to him. So in order to be truly happy, we need to have these things a part of our life because they're going to lead us into his presence. The commands laid out in the sermon are what will lead us to true blessedness and by extension, true happiness. So when we're truly blessed, then we will be uh, truly happy. And each of, the, um, each of the, the Beatitudes, they all begin with that word, as some uh, the King James people, I was talking about them earlier, they say blessed, right? Blessed, right? Blessed. Every single one of them from uh, verse 3 down to verse 10, at least in my scripture, and then verse 11 has it uh, as well. They all have this Greek word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it. I was not a very good Greek student. Um, makarios. I think I'm saying that right, Makarios. And that word means happy. And the way that it was often used at this particular time, um, Homer used it, and not Homer from The Simpsons, but Homer, the, uh, the Greek poet, they used, the, they used this word to describe the gods and how they were. And how the gods were happy with each other, they didn't care about what was going on on earth. And then we see that David and Solomon, when they were writing their psalms, they use this word to talk about God. And so this, this word that they're using, which means happy, it's a characteristic of God. And so when Jesus is teaching and he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's using that Greek word to say that when this is a part of you, you're going to have this characteristic of God. You're going to have the same type of happiness that is a part of God. It's kind of a a, a big, mind-blowing type of thing. Um, John MacArthur, I'm looking to make sure she's not here. Mrs. Hawkins, who used to, uh, Naomi Hawkins, who used to be here, she hated John MacArthur. She was not a fan of John MacArthur. I love Johnny Mac. He's he's, he's my boy. I know he's watching right now. Um, But uh, he wrote this. He said, to be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well-being based on circumstances but a deep supernatural experience of contentedness based on the fact that one's life is right with God. 
So when you're blessed, when you have this, this happiness, it's a supernatural thing. That's why, um, like I said, I get happy when I go to the movies and they give me free popcorn. But it only lasts until the popcorn is gone and then I'm not happy anymore. Right? But sometimes we'll come in contact with people who are truly happy regardless of their circumstance. So they're happy when they get free popcorn. They're happy when the popcorn's gone. They're happy when they're healthy. They're joyful when they're not. Right? And that only comes as a result of being right with God. That's the only way you can experience that contentedness. One more thing before we dive into this verse. The Beatitudes, as you read them, they're progressive, meaning they stack on top of each other. And so tonight when we look at the first one, blessed are the, or blessed, blessed are the poor, in, I mean, it, Abram, Abraham, Saul, Paul, blessed, blessed, um, they build on top of each other. So being poor in spirit is the right attitude to have toward our sinful condition. Being poor in spirit, as you'll see, means to be humble, to have humility. And you have to have that, which you have to be, have humility towards your sin, which will lead you to mourn over your sin, which is the next one that comes in the line. Um, and then once you're mourning over your sin, that'll cause you to be meek and humble. And then you will, you'll want to show mercy, you'll want to seek purity, and you'll want to chase after peace. All of those things, as you go down the list, those are the the order that, that Jesus gives them into gives you to. So Matthew chapter 5, let me see, read it one more time because it's really short. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There are two types of there are two words that are used for poverty or poor in the scripture, in, in the Bible. Um, in Luke chapter 21, this is the story uh, where Jesus is in the temple and he's kind of keeping an eye on who's putting things in the in the, in the money box, and he's got the widow that comes up, and she drops the 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 two uh, the, the widow's mites is basically what it remembers. Um, and there's a word that's used to describe her. She didn't have a lot, but she wasn't destitute. She was giving all that she had, but she wasn't begging anybody to give her anything else. That's one type of being poor. The other type of poverty, or the other type of being poor, refers to complete. An abject poverty. This is somebody who has nothing and has no hope of getting anything else. And at, uh, the, the word used here comes from a verb that means to shrink, cower, or cringe. And so when they're talking about this type of poverty, and that's what the word Jesus is using here, um, what it does, it, it was the common behavior of beggars in that day where they would kind of, they'd hold out their hand. Think about in Acts chapter 3. When we, when we looked at Peter and John healing the, uh, healing the lame man who was begging in the temple, right? What he, he, he didn't even look up at, uh, at Peter and John because Peter had to say, dude, look at me, right? Because he was holding out his hand, but he was cowering because he was ashamed of the position that he was in. That's, that's the kind of poverty that, that Jesus is talking about here. Um, he's talking about that when, when he's talking about being poor in spirit. There's a similar statement made in Luke 6. Uh, where Jesus is teaching, and he says something very similar to this, where he talks about um, being poor, and, and it's led some people to believe, to teach, to believe and to teach, that being poor, the, the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are. Which, I'm I, I, not, not bragging, but I looked at my bank account this afternoon, and I went, wow, I'm really far from God, because God has, has allowed us to get out of debt and so all of those things. Um, 
But this contradicts much of the teaching of the Bible. While we shouldn't make material possessions our idol, right? And there, there, we talked about the American dream this morning, how people, all they want to do is amass things and get rich and rich and rich and, and all of those things. While we, while we shouldn't do, make them our idol, something that we chase and worship, God does bless people financially so that they can turn around and be a blessing to other people. God doesn't give us material wealth so that we can hoard it and be the richest person on the block. God gives us material wealth so that we can turn around and be a blessing to our neighbor who needs something. Right? Um, there, the, Tina listens to him all the time, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey loves to talk about how he was a millionaire and then he wasn't. And then you know, he's got this saying, you live like nobody else because nobody cares. Or, <laughs> apparently I'm... Okay, all right. Um, you know, he talks about... You know, he talks about living like nobody else so you can live like nobody else. And he wants you to be extremely generous with what God has given to you. The purpose of God giving you money isn't so you can hoard it and be rich and just talk about how much money you have. It's so you can turn around and be a blessing to somebody who may not be in that same situation that you are. Uh, to be poor in spirit means to recognize our spiritual destitution apart from God. Are you still mad about that? Okay. She's like, what? Okay. We have nothing good on our own. On our own, we, we're, we're, we're the dregs of society, right? We are, without Christ, we are, we, there's nothing good about us. Even our good deeds, the Bible tells us, are like filthy rags. And actually, if you, I won't go into too many details. It's the grossest thing you can think of is what our good deeds are, based, uh, according to the scripture. We have nothing good of our own, and we are solely dependent on God for our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. We can't give enough money to the church. We can't do our own good works. None of those things are going to get us to heaven. We are poor in spirit. We are solely dependent on God for that salvation. Someone who is this poor knows that their pride is gone, their self-assurance is gone, and they stand before God completely empty-handed, trusting him as the only way for their salvation. To be poor in spirit means that this condition, to be poor in spirit means that this condition is genuine. It's not, it's not an act you put on. We all, we all know those guys who, who um, it drives me crazy. You give somebody a compliment and, and they, they, like, they like do the humble brag or they try to push it off like, like it was no big deal. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen those guys? Like, oh, that was a great job. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that great. You know, like, oh, stop it. Just accept the compliment. Um, it's not an act that the person is putting on. Psalm chapter 34, uh, verse 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. And then in Luke chapter 18, um, Jesus is telling his disciples a parable. Uh, if you want to turn there real quick, Luke chapter 18 uh, we're going to begin in verse 9. And what Jesus is doing here is he's actually contra contrasting two people. One who uh, has, he was trying to show everybody that he's broken in spirit, and, and he's truly not. And a guy who absolutely is broken in spirit, who is experienced in humility. Luke chapter 18, verses, verse, beginning in verse 9, says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So basically what he's saying is he's telling this parable to people who think that their righteousness is going to get them to heaven and nobody else is as good as they are. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. So he basically, he got up on a soapbox, put his arms up in the air, you know, made sure he had a, had a crowd and started praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus was was giving the example there that this Pharisee was lifting himself up, putting on an act, trying to get everybody to think he was more righteous than he actually was. Basically, this guy was a jerk, right? Like I said this morning, you don't get to be a jerk just because you're a Christian. That's what this dude was being. Whereas the, the, uh, the tax collector, he had that sense of poverty where he wouldn't even look up. He was, he was shrinking, he was cowering. And Jesus is saying, the one that was doing that is the one that's broken in spirit. He's the one who's going to become justified, not this guy over here trying to convince everybody else. Um, so that brings us to the second part is, how do we do this? How do we achieve humility? How do we become broken in spirit? Um, it certainly doesn't mean that we walk around constantly berating ourselves. right? We've all, we've all run into those people who are like, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, uh, you know, I, 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 I hate myself. That's not what this means, right? You're not being humble. You're, you need to go see somebody. You need to sit down and have a conversation with a doctor and figure out what's going on. This is not God's desire for his life, all right? You, you, need, to, you need to have an understanding of who you are in light of God and, and the fact that, um, you know, I was talking to, I mentioned uh, Brian Duggar, the, the pastor at Westview, um, and he and I were talking and this, uh, please don't take this as a humble break. It scares me to death every time I stand up here behind this pulpit and open this Bible. And if you ever get to the place where you can stand up and open the Bible and, and share with what the Bible says and it doesn't make you terrified, then you need to stop doing it. All right? Because when we open the scripture, this isn't in my notes, by the way. Um, when you open the scripture, you're opening God's word. You're communicating what the God of the universe wants people to know. And if that doesn't scare the fire out of you, then, uh, then, then there's something going on. But that's, God doesn't want us to walk around constantly beating ourselves up and talking about how bad and how lame and how stupid we are. That's not what he has planned. God wants us to experience the blessedness that comes to us as his children. So the first thing that we have to do to achieve this is we have to take our eyes off of ourselves and we have to look to God. Because if we're looking, if we're, if we're keeping our eyes on ourselves, we can't look to God. We do this by being in God's word and being in prayer. If we want to know what God is about, what God, what God treasures and what God loves, we have to look in his word. Because this is the revealed word of God. Everything that we need to know about God is right here in the Bible. And the more that you spend time in the Bible, guess what the more you're going to know? the more you're going to know about God. You're going to know what God is about, and you're going to align yourself to him. And then as you're, as you're spending time in prayer, he's going to continue that, uh, that alignment. It's God's word that reveals our condition to us and shows us our need to be in God's presence. As we are seeking God in the Bible and desiring to be in his presence, 
we are moving closer to being poor in spirit. Hebrews chapter uh, 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that we need to uh, take our eyes off of ourselves and look to God by being in God's word. The second thing, we must starve our flesh. All right, and that doesn't mean you know don't go to Jersey Mike's and get one of those uh, delicious uh, pastrami sandwiches. Or we we had uh, the total aside, but we had um, I forgot the the hippies restaurant. What is it down by Walmart? Royalicious. <laughs> All right, Royalicious. Seriously, I call it the hippie restaurant because somebody bought us a gift certificate there. You know what it was? $25 written on an index card. Here's your gift card. <laughs> so I took it in. I bought my sandwiches, and I was expecting them to give me change. All they did was cross out the 25 and write how much was left on the card. It's like, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's pretty lo-fi there, I guess. Um, when we starve our flesh, what we're doing is we're removing the things that will cause us to swell up with pride. Right? That when, when we, there's nothing wrong with having somebody compliment you or let you know that they think you're doing a good job or congratulating for you for a job well done. But if you start seeking those things out, if you start doing things just so people will pat you on the back and tell you what a great dude you are and, and all of those things, that's where it becomes a sin. Because you're doing those things not to bring glory to God, but to bring glory to yourself. And so if we want to achieve humility, if we want to become closer to being broken in spirit, we have to make sure that we're, um, we're starving our flesh of those things that are going to cause us to swell up with pride. Now, that doesn't mean that when somebody gives you a compliment, that you like brush it off, because that can actually be false humility. You're like, oh, no, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, I, I didn't spend that much time working on it. You know, the, we've all heard people who do that kind of thing. Like, ah, it wasn't that great. You know, I don't understand. That, that's false humility. That's also boosting you up with pride. Um, I, I wrote this down. Let me, let me read it here. Um, I want our church to grow. I've made no bones about that. Right? I, I want to see more people. I want this building to be packed out with people. But I don't want the building to be packed out with people because it's going to make me look good. Right? We, 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 uh, well, at least I do. I, I, I follow a lot of churches. I keep, track, I keep my thumb on, on what's going on in church life and what's happening in other churches. And you know the people that get all the accolades? The guys with big churches. You know who gets invited to speak at, at conferences and stuff? The guys with big churches. At this point, I'm not going to get invited to come speak at a conference. And I'm okay with that. I want to see this building packed out with people because what that means is that we have people that we're telling about Jesus. And those people are then leaving this building and they're going out and they're telling other people about Jesus. Because the more people that we have in here, the more people that are coming in contact with God's word, the greater the, greater the impact we're going to have on our community. But if I start trying to build people, if I start trying to build this church and get people here just so I can get invited to conferences and I can get my face on the cover of magazines and have articles written about me, guess what? I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, right? That, that's my pride coming in. And, and there have been times, I'll be straight up transparent, there have been times where I, that, that's tried to happen. And God has humbled me. And, and, right, we, I was trying to get this house paid off over here and I was doing all of these things. because You know why? Because I wanted to build a bigger building. 
I want a bigger building so that people would like, like, look what Jonathan did. Like, he led this church to build a bigger building. And that fell through. God humbled me. And I realized that I was trying to build my kingdom and not further his kingdom. Um, and then the third thing is that we need to ask God for humility. But be careful when you ask God for things because he will give it to you. Tina will tell you she prayed for patience one time and then Sean was born. Okay, All right. he, and he's heard that, so that's not I me mean, telling stories out of, out of jail. But humility is a gift from God, and we can only be truly humble when God gives it to us. Is he coming? Dude, if it, oh, I was going to say, if he pops through that door, that's going to be. Uh, Psalm chapter 51, Psalm 51, verse 10, this is David. Uh, he wrote, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So that, that, those are the things that we need to do to achieve humility. Then what happens when, when we get this way? What happens when we uh, truly are poor in spirit? Well, the first thing, we're no longer caught up in ourselves. Our world no longer revolves around us. This isn't a mental, this isn't a mental issue, but rather an understanding that our goals and desires are secondary to those of Jesus's. The things that we're trying to accomplish they, they take a backseat to the, the goals of the kingdom. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When, when we are truly broken in spirit, the result is that our goals are going to take a backseat to the furtherance of the kingdom. The things that God is calling us to do are more important than the things that, that we, the plans we had for our lives. Second, we will no longer complain about our circumstances or our situation. That's an American pastime, griping about how everybody is treating you badly. Right? Get a couple of people together, and you know what they're going to talk about? How bad their life situation is. Like We live in America. Our life is better than anybody else's in the entire world. And what do we do? We get together, and I was about to say some words that I probably shouldn't say in church. We, we pee and moan about, there, see? We pee and moan about how this person's being mean to us, or, or yeah, I know I'm on Facebook. I'm not getting invited to any of the uh, King James conferences anytime soon. Um, but we, you know, we, we gripe about this, or we gripe about that. When we are poor in spirit and we're practicing humility, we can understand God's purposes in our circumstances. We start to understand why God is allowing us to walk through different things. 1 Peter 4.16 says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. This is coming from Peter. If you remember, Peter... In the gospel, Peter was brash and he was always running off his mouth and doing all these things. When, when, when um, Jesus was about to be arrested, Peter's the one who grabbed the sword and almost chopped the dude's head off. Like, and now we have Peter saying, hey, don't be ashamed when you're going through rough times. It was a complete 180 from, from who he was. Um, we can also see the strengths and virtues of others. When we're, when we're practicing humility, when we're broken in spirit we can see the strengths and virtues of others. When we're poor in spirit, we'll be able to treat others with humility. This is exactly, I picked this up in Sunday school this morning. This is exactly what David did in 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 1. Right? In 2 Samuel chapter 1, David had just gotten word that Saul had been killed in battle. 
And as soon as he got word that Saul had been killed in battle, his, his, uh, his response was not to get excited and go, yes, I can finally be king. His response was to break down in tears and to tear his clothing, which was a sign of grief and anguish at the time. He ripped his clothes. He began to cry and pour out all of the grief that he was experiencing because Saul was dead. Now, the, the thing about the, what makes that so powerful is if you know the story of the relationship of Saul and David, Saul hated David. And Saul spent his, almost his entire time as king trying to kill David. He chased him all over the countryside trying to kill David. And so David had every right to be like, good, man, that dude is dead. Fine, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Instead, he ripped his clothes and he sang a song talking about how great Saul was and all of the wonderful things that Saul had done as king. The only way that that type of forgiveness, the only way that that type of humility is there is if you are broken, if you are poor in spirit. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And then finally, and most importantly, because the verse tells us this, those who are poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of God. We have all of these, all of these other things come along, but the most important thing is that we receive the kingdom of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, we looked at this last summer, Isaiah is in the temple when he's given a glimpse of God in the throne. And what is his response? He loses his mind. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. Because he understood he understood the depths of his sin. He understood that he was an unclean person. And seeing God meant that he was about to be destroyed. And rightfully so. But God in his mercy, God looked down and said, whoa, just chill. And he sent one of his angels down. And the angel took a coal off of the fire, put it on Isaiah's mouth, and cleansed him of his sin. God saw, what, God saw the, the attitude of Isaiah's heart and said, because you're this way, I'm going to forgive your sins. Those who come to God with humility and broken hearts will not leave that way. They will receive forgiveness and have their hearts put back together. When a person is poor in spirit, he is relinquishing control over his kingdom. But as a result of doing that, he's inheriting God's kingdom. Any thoughts?